And uh, who? I think the more we study this chapter, the more I think this is just, we should have really had a Romans class for a year, starting in Romans 8.1. And then in 39, Grant was like, I really going to get through four verses. And so I'm not sure that it's truly going to happen. But that's kind of the goal, 14 to 17. And uh, would you read for us, Grant, um, maybe all the way going back to verse 1 and starting us and going to um, 17. The reason is, remember all the way in back verse 1 where there's reserved for no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Many commentators seem to say this is sort of the thesis statement of the whole chapter, and so all the rest of it is kind of a commentary on that one verse. Seems to me like that's kind of likely. Um, and so think about today as we're feasting on uh, adoption and uh, being children of God, um, being led by the Spirit of God, Think about that in context of having no condemnation because certainly, and it could be that you struggle a little bit with your security. Uh, this is a fantastic uh, chapter on uh, being secure in Christ. Grant, if you don't mind reading 1 to 17 and praying for us, we'll, we'll uh, go to it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. Heavenly Father, thank you for this chapter of Romans, and Father, thank you that once again we can gather as a local body in person, uh, freely, without fear, and worship and discuss your word, Father. Uh, I pray that the discussion today would be fruitful, that you would bless it, um, that it would change how we think of ourselves, Father, that we would think of ourselves as sons, and that that would affect how we live and how we uh, pray to you. And Father, I pray that our teaching would be clear and accurate and concise, Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think as the Holy Spirit uses commentators, there's so many new things each week. 
to um, to find out of this. One thing I had never put together is how 13 and 14 um, are tied together. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, really this is probably, even if you call this a command, um, an imperative, the only one in chapter 8 is full of indicatives, is full of who we are in Christ, you will live. Well, then how is one that puts to death the deeds of the body, how are they described? They're described as one who is led by the Spirit of God. And I thought that's just so, so good. Remember all of these verses that start with four. We go back to the verse before, and so many of them start like that. You know, look at there in verse 14 and verse 15. And so Paul is continuing an argument here. Scott, I have been looking forward to this day for uh, 167 hours since we got done last week. Um, could you kind of connect that there and tell us what you get from verse 14 from the white sheets? Sure. Yeah, well, let's just read 13 and 14. For if you live according to the flesh, verse 13, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For, there's the connection Jerry was saying, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And tons of people talked about this. Uh, the leading of the Spirit does not refer to guidance for everyday decisions. And it's not like people will say the Spirit led me to choose this job or that job or to marry this spouse or to buy that house. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about being controlled by the Spirit, governed by the Spirit. Uh, we're no longer under the mastery of sin. We're now governed by the Spirit. And the Spirit sort of leads us like a captain leads an army out to war. I just love that. I think it was Matthew Henry. It's like a captain leading the battle out to war. leads us to deal ruthlessly with sin. The Spirit now, uh, we hate our sin so it's like before conversion, we loved our sin. We were enjoying our sin, blind to the glory of, of Jesus. Regeneration happens. Spirit brings life because of righteousness. Everything changes. Well, we're, we, we see our sin as, as horrible. We're, we grieve by our sin. We mourn our sin. But there's one guy just gave the illustration. If you're in a dark cave, you're going through this dark cave, you can't see very well. A guy has a really bright light in front of you. asking if he could please turn around. He shines this really bright light in your face and it sort of blinds you. You look down and you see this poisonous, hideous spider on you, and you're just like, ah, you're just repulsed by it. You, you, you swipe it off. Well, it's this, the Spirit will reveal sin like that. There, there's spiders all over us, and we've just repulsed. We're grossed out by it, and the Spirit leads us to just make war on these sins, to deal ruthlessly with these sins. I do think when we are dealing ruth, ruthlessly with our sin, that's an evidence that we are the child of God, which we can get into that more. But it's, it's this captain of an army leading us out to fight sin. I yeah. Think idea. yeah. Good. Josh? Yeah, if... Uh, if you don't have a commentary and you want a little bit more, you can talk to Zach Wood on verse, the connection with 14 and uh, 12 and 13. He shared this with me a few months ago, and it just stuck with me. But when we're fighting sin, putting sin to death, that's true evidence of us being sons of God. And uh, that was really good, Zach, so thanks for sharing that. And I just want to hop on a point you made Um Derek Thomas said, instead of us having a preoccupation with guidance and everyday decisions, the verse in 14, being led by the Spirit, uh, he asks a couple questions. Um, we should ask, how can we live in a way that reflects the holiness of our Savior? How can we deny ourselves and die to self daily? And then what sins do we need to put to death as a way of being uh, led by the Spirit, maybe more so than, you know, do this job or that job like you were saying? <clears throat> Kind of the physical, the, like I think we think about usually being led by the Spirit in a physical way. And certainly he can do that and does do that, I think. You know, but that's not the, the number one issue that we have. Isn't what we're gonna, where we're going to go to college. It is 
what's going on with my sin. And so primarily, the Spirit is all about that. Josh, that list that you just read really got me. How about this one? What Should this maybe not be a prayer every morning for us or a uh, a something that we ask the Spirit? Should Which sin should I be aware of could kill the day? And I just thought, that was really good by Derek Thomas. I thought, and all three of them were great questions, but because there's to do war with it, to see those spiders crawling around saying, which one um, is the spirit going to help me to, to you know, the mortification of, of that sin, to put it to death. Zach, you, did you teach on these? Was this 12, yes. 13, and 14? Yeah. What, do you, what do you remember about that connection? Because once Josh says, Zach Wood, we're going to come to you <laughs> immediately. Yeah. Um, I think it was Piper that helped me see that. But it's such a big question that you can have. Like, am I being led by the Spirit? You know, yeah. almost for assurance or security, as you were saying. But that's a clear way to see it. Like, we're not going to go to war against sin without the Spirit. Not without it being another sin driving us to war. You know, like pride to conquer our flesh in this yeah. specific area. Wow, that's good. So if somebody was going to war against the flesh as an unbeliever, they might do that, but for a different reason. Their motive wouldn't be right. Yeah. But you yeah, they'd can, be led by another another sinful. Flesh. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So it's a great question to ask. And again, it's not always so easily discerned. Grant, can you help us here? I don't know if I can. I'm still thinking of Scott's description of the spider because I walked through the woods last night. So yeah. I felt that revulsion many times. That was a great uh, way of putting it. But I do think they're connected. Um, just reiterating what y'all said, Murray put it this way. The Spirit is the primary agent in Christian obedience. It is His work in believers that accounts for their obedience. And he also said, connecting 13 and 14, uh, put to death the deeds of the body, verse 13, emphasizes the activity of the believer um, and verse 14 is complementary. The activity of the believer is evidence of spirits, of the Spirit's activity, and the activity of the Spirit is the cause of the believer's activity. So they, they go hand in hand, and they can be, it can be useful for assurance. Yeah, good. The Spirit's at work. Governed and controlled. I love that. The Spirit governs and, and controls us. And so great to, uh, to pray that first thing in the morning all day long. Um, Scott, yeah, just kind of just say one thing about before we get into the adoption verse. Just, just I, I just feel like uh, different people talked about this, but one guy just said we're talking about like today we're talking about spectacular, wonderful things. It was hard to even like all these like all these words. We get to seventeen. Uh, one guy just said if you haven't uh, felt your heart soaring, he said go ahead and put on your wings, like attach your wings. You're going to soar at seventeen, but you're soaring throughout all chapter eight. But certainly adoption. It's just like I, I hope that today we'll come away with a greater amazement, appreciation at our adoption. But it reminded me of 1 John 3, 1, where the Apostle John says, See or behold what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we, like we, should be called children of God, and so we are. Like that verse, I love that verse. And like John is just like exploding with wonder that, that he's just wanting, come on guys, like see this amazing thing. And, and one commentator just said, for God to stay his hand of judgment, to forgive and redeem rebellious sinners like us, would have been, in and of itself, a remarkable display of divine love. But our Lord went even further and made us his children. And then he just he gave this wonderful application. He said, we must ponder it, ponder our adoption, until we share the awe and wonder of the apostle at this truth. So I hope just to, all of us today will come away with just fresh wonder 
fresh amazement as we consider. I mean, I feel like I've, I've studied it before, but it just this week, it's just like fresh wonder just washing over me again and again because it's incredible. Yeah. I like Derek Thomas said that God comes with grace in both. The Holy Spirit invades us, you, if you will, with grace in both hands. With grace in both hands. He, he said uh, um, he comes to point us to Jesus and the extravagance of what he has uh, accomplished for us. And he introduces us to the Father in heaven. And he says, meet the Father. He is your Father, too. And I just think, you know, I had to think about Michael so many times this week. And um, how you became his Father in, in, in adoption. And then multiply that times a thousand for us. Josh, any thoughts on uh, before Scott... Um, helps us there or are you just waiting for Scott I'm as well? waiting uh, I've been waiting and excited all week um, so no thoughts <clears throat> great uh, I'm, I'm good. Are, we, are we going towards adoption or let's do okay. um, as he's thinking I'll, this is one way that this topic of adoption was described by John Owen he called it our fountain privilege and then this was a neat way I thought uh, Jab Packer summed up the entirety of the New Testament in three words. He said, um, the whole message of the New Testament is adoption through propitiation. And I just think that, if you think about the theme of Romans that we've covered so far through a propitiation and uh, now looking at adoption, I think it's only talked about in the New Testament maybe four or five times is what some of the commentators say, but it holds such a place of centrality in the blessings that believers have that um, it's worth thinking on and, and letting it be a, a central mark of how we even understand ourselves and think about who we are as believers is in relationship, in a sonship relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now you're talking Grant's language. He heard <laughs> propitiation. <laughs> yeah, now, now, we're ready. now we're ready to go. Yeah, that's really good. Um, yeah, if we want to go on to, to adoption, um, I think it's one of the highest privileges that the believer has. It's uh, like you have all this wonderful stuff, propitiation, justification, but then I think adoption just turns the volume all the way up. It's, it's truly a remarkable thing to study, and we, I think I have that language of being a child of God or being God's son, but I, I don't think I had the understanding behind it that, that I needed, and it was stirring to, to study it. This week, and another quote from J.I. Packer just sort of emphasized the importance of adoption. He says in his book, Knowing God, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. At first, I was like, that's really the understanding of Christianity is, is, is someone's how much they value being a child of God. And, but if you start thinking about that, it, it's a profound statement because if we approach God in sort of a, a fearful way, maybe we have an understanding of His holiness, but we don't have an understanding of the access that we have through Christ's propitiation in His blood. Or if we casually approach God that is more prevalent today, we don't have an understanding of His holiness. Um, true, a true and reverent uh, understanding that we are a child of a holy God is, is huge. because That means we understand how sinful we were. We understand how righteous we are now because of what Christ has done. And now we have access to that holy God. And we understand his holiness from Isaiah 6, yet we have access to call him Father. So all of that packed into understanding and valuing our sonship, I do think is, is the essence of if we really like 
if we um, how well we understand Christianity. It's it's truly amazing. Yeah, I think so many times justification in, in my mind kind of takes the cake just because it's so objective. It's so black and white where we have now been declared righteous. And that is such a glorious thing. But then when you take it to adoption, there's such a warmth there. It's, it's, it's not that it is an objective, it is. But it also becomes subjective in just how we, how we see our Father. Um, in in heaven and the Abba Father and and so so much there, Scott. Um, help us to understand this. It's just yep. like you said. This is soaring with uh, with riches here that will be so life changing. I think the more we grasp it. Mm-hmm. So true. Well, I, I could give you the. You asked me about the the differences between Michael and us. Like the similarities, differences, or. or how we can learn from Michael's adoption to our adoption. Now, this is dangerous because the fast track to make me cry. So I would try to be concise. But the first thing I would say is profoundly grateful that his birth mom chose adoption. Like, so, so grateful for, for, for that. But uh, when he was born, he was in, this time I'm already in trouble, he was in great need. And I, I don't want to go into all the specifics, but many people know the, that I shared in the group me before. But if you had seen him just for one minute, you would never forget. Like, the sight of him, it was just, it, it was not good. But his picture, sometimes when the adoption is such a great need, it so points to our need. I mean, our need was so much so much worse than his, uh, but he, he was in desperate need uh, of help. But we were in far worse condition. We were without hope, without God in the world. We were running our hellbound race, indifferent to the cost. So his need should remind us of our tremendous great need. Number two, I would say his future would have been drastically different had he not been, been adopted. I, that, I mean, under God, you could say he was very close to being going to foster care had certain things not happened I won't go into the details but he could have gone to foster care and like you can talk to Olivia about foster care and what that would have been I mean just ah such a different future and so us how different our future would have been infinitely worse than foster care we were headed for eternal destruction so two different futures great need two different futures third would be uh when, when the adoption became final many of you guys were there November 2019 like the judge made it official like he's, he's part of the McAndrew family and Mark made the point that Mark was there, and Mark just said, you know, as cute as Michael was, uh, he has no idea. He has no idea of the magnitude of what's happening. And that judge just said, you know, he, you're, you're McAndrew. Like, but he, over time, he will grow into, I hope, understanding all the ramifications of what that day meant. Like, I just think this church, this is just one blessing attached to that, is he gets to grow up in this church with people who love the Lord, who point him to Jesus. What a, what a blessing. Well, that's just one of, he got my parents as his grandparents. Like, all these blessings. Well, he didn't realize all that at once. Well, the same way when we are adopted into God's family, we have no idea in terms of the, the immense benefits that we get. We had some little bit of understanding, but I think over time, it just becomes more and more incredible. That's like this week, it was just fresh tears for me. I, Thursday, Friday, I was just like, this is incredible. Like, it's just washing over you again. So I think we'll grow in our amazement over time. And number four, uh, we, we had talked to another family who had adopted years before, and they just said one of the cool things was after the adoption is official, you get uh, he gets a brand new birth certificate, or she gets a brand new birth certificate with his, with his name. So I was looking forward to that. We get this. We got actually two copies. He's got Michael, Caleb, McGander. He's got everything. It's all official. It's like, this is so cool to have it. But you would never, we would never just give that to him and say, you know, it's official, you're our son, and that's it. No, we want him to, to know it, to feel it, to enjoy the fact that he is our son. And I'm taking this from another pastor, but in the same sense, God doesn't just say, you're, our, you're my son or daughter. He wants us to know it, to feel it, to enjoy the fact that we're his children. So he gives us his spirit, and his spirit causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. So it's just, those are just four concise things that we can learn from Michael's adoption to, to our own. Oh, yeah. No, that's, that's good. I remember uh, uh, my wife Amy had 
I think it might have been in second grade, so it must have been a seven, uh, seven or eight-year-old probably who she just advertised in class. He was like, the rest of you, your parents had to take you. My parents chose me special. You know, and she was advertising how great it was to be adopted. And I thought, it's a pretty, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a neat perspective. You know, the Lord did, he chose us out of his own sovereignty and providence, not a thing that we could have done to do that. And God, out of his just great mercy and love, chose us and, uh, and, and took us out of the miry pit, kind of like you were talking, talking with Michael there. It's just incredible when you read that verse Help us with the, this idea, and um, Schreiner was interesting, because sometimes you hear, and you probably have heard, the Abba Father being like Daddy, and uh, Schreiner says maybe even better, kind of dear father, um, that idea. Um, but, you know, that's it's a certainly a tender term. Anything there, Josh, for us? Maybe I can just sort of come at it a little bit differently, but when thinking about adoption, um, it defined would just simply mean this, all the legal rights and privileges that would ordinarily accrue to a natural born child is now given to the adoptee. And it's to be made a full member of the family. No rights, no privileges are held back. And uh, we, are, are a, a child that's adopted is, is a full partaker of of all of those privileges. And then you think about our adoption into God's family. Um, he doesn't hold back any of the privileges or the blessings. He gives them in full. And he was not obliged or constrained or bound by any sort of sense of duty to adopt us. It was out of his free grace and kindness. And um, it's certainly not something he he has to do. And then what you're saying, Scott, the spirit it's, it's not just a status that we get, but the Spirit helps us to experience this um, sense of being adopted and being in God's family, and it's amazing to think about. And I was just studying it this week, convicted of how little uh, I've actually thought about this. And then as you've reminded us how much I'm missing out on by not thinking about who I am as an adopted son and... Uh, it's something that I think as Christians we will want to do more and more and reflect and experience and know that we're adopted by God into his family. I think sometimes a misconception would be when we use the language, I think the unbeliever of the world would oftentimes say, you know, all of us are God's children. Now, all of us were made by God. There's no doubt about that. But Jesus clearly says, you remember those Pharisees, they were children of the devil. Right, and that in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, all over you would see that the unbeliever is not at all a child of God. Not like we are. And it's in a whole different realm. And so important to just see and to see where we came from to say, oh, we were children of wrath. We were children of Satan. And then God changes us, adopts us, we're born again. There's all of this language that's so rich to say we are now in a whole different family. Well, let me ask you, um, any of you guys, this to say when you think about adoption, what are some of the favorite things that you could say about being in God's family? 
It's just, it's just so rich, and I'm sure that there's 30 things someone could say. What, what comes to mind about the joy of being in God's family? What's some of your favorite things? Just throw some out. The peace? Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's fun to be part of a family because there's a peace there. There's, yeah, you're settled. Good. Security in the future. Security. Yep, future security. I think about Michael there. You know, his future security whole different than, than if he wasn't adopted by you guys. Good. What else? I'm kind of thinking about um, a part in Ephesians 2 verse 6. Uh, I'll start in verse 4 for context. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Yeah. I don't think I fully comprehend what that means. Wait, I'm seated with, seated us with him in the heavenly places? Wait, what does that mean? Yeah, and in the heavenly places, as good as there. Yeah, we'll get there in the golden chain, too, that we are, past tense, glorified. Yeah, no, that's that's huge. I think when we get to 17, when we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, there's this inheritance. That goes with it now that we're part of the family. Yeah. You think about whatever the, uh, I don't know, the Walton, um, the Walton, Sam Walton, is that, am I getting mixed up from the TV show in the 80s? Is that the guy that started Walmart? Are they the Waltons? Okay. Man. Sam Walton Good night, started John boy. Walmart, but I don't know if there was a character on the Waltons name. Yeah. Walmart. Yeah, I don't either. But that guy, you know, if you were you're, if you were in that family when Mr. Walton died, you had a huge inheritance. I mean, of of a lot of money, and uh, that is just even of no comparison. Of no comparison, what our of our inheritance is, just so big, um, and, and just and it just goes on and on. You know, one of my favorites is just all the brothers and sisters that you get when you become a family. Josh, you like that too, don't you? You know that. How fun is that? Like it's because I love my two brothers. Oh man, those guys are great. But now I have how many? You know, everybody in this room, but a lot of my students just, it's great. All these siblings, you just, um, what's your guys' favorite, even as you guys studied it this week, when you think about it? I mean, the intimacy, I mean, I don't know, it's hard to pick a favorite. Like, I think this intimacy level, like they cry, Abba, Father, uh, the term of greatest intimacy, I'll just say just a little bit on that real quick. Uh, Lloyd-Jones said, Abba was a word list by a little child. We cry, Abba. Like, he expresses deep emotion. But it's like, the cry part I can talk about, like, it's when we're in need, we can cry out. But it's, it's the other side of it, Lloyd-Jones just said, our worship and praying are spontaneous. 
It is the spontaneity of the child who sees the father. So I remember Micah when he was tiny. He would come out here after a long time during the service and see Mark out there and just take his pacifier out. Daddy, it'd just be warmth, like excitement. Like, and that's how we can approach God, like with this warmth and intimacy. It's amazing. So there's, there's affection, rejoicing, exuberance. But the cry part, it's like, I think it's the used of Jesus in the garden, that same type of term. It's like this agony. And I think of Mike, Michael when he was uh, young. He would have bad nights, sometimes a year old, 18 months old, and he would, he would be disturbed. And when he was disturbed, he wouldn't just climb up in his crib and he wouldn't say, Daddy, are you in there? Could you please come in here? Like, no, he would, he has a very loud voice. He would give it all. He's like, Daddy, he would just be screaming at the top of his lungs because he's in need. He's not going to stop until Daddy comes in there and picks him up and comforts him. When we are in need, we go to the sovereign creator of the universe. He is our Father. We go to him, Heavenly Father, I am hurting. I'm discouraged. Please. Help me. I mean, it's just incredible. The acts is uh, the story I've told before is, is this emperor is returning from, from victory and the streets are lined with people celebrating the victory. Here comes the emperor down the middle and there's this 12-year-old boy. He comes racing down, wants to see the emperor and there's a guard there. He's like, you cannot pass and see the emperor. And then the 12-year-old boy is like, he may be your emperor, but he's my dad. So like, let me through. Like, that's amazing. The intimacy, the access. Uh, yes, yeah, so that's just, that's one of the things that's incredible. Makes me convicted that sometimes I go to other things. Yeah. You know, you know friendships or, you know, uh, sometimes just try to white-knuckle it, pizza, you know, whatever it is that we're going to, let's go directly to our Father and cry out to Him. Yes, sir? Um, I have one. Um, you know, like, sometimes if you're, uh, if you have a parent that you have, and let's say they're good at math or reading, and then as a child you're growing up and you kind of have that in you, um, but then when you come to Christ, His Spirit lives in us, and the Bible says, "Let the mind of Christ is in you." And you find yourself yeah. loving the Word, understanding the Word, things that you yeah. couldn't walk in or do before the Spirit of God came. That's right. So you start to get His characteristics. So, yeah, you can love now. You can have joy now. You can have peace now. But you can, and you, you can love a, a unbelievers like you do, Quasi Sopa. You can, you can go after them with a, a zeal um, that we never could. No, that's really good. Can I just I, throw I, in one, one more thing? I just, tell, I just love adoption stories. So they, different people told different adoption stories. But this one guy told this adoption story, a powerful story of a couple that uh, adopted a kid from, from Russia. This was years ago, and it was a Russian orphanage. And they, I'm sure they spent years d- doing all the paperwork and all the money they had to spend. And they finally went... You know, lots of flights probably to get there, and finally they went to the orphanage. The day they came where they meet their son for the first time, this wonderful day where they, they met him, and they, they couldn't take him home yet. They had to do other stuff. Finally, they did all the other stuff. They came to take him home, and they searched for him. They couldn't find him anywhere in the orphanage. All over the orphanage, cannot find this guy. And finally, they find him in this room, and he's, he's clutching on to this other kid. He's holding on to this other kid. And they say, oh, how sweet. You know, he doesn't want to leave his friend behind. And they say, you know, come on, buddy. You know, it's, it's now it's time to go. But he's, he's not going lo- to leave. But he's holding on to this guy, and he, he's saying something in Russian over and over. And so they had to go get the head of the orphanage to come down and translate. And he's saying, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. And finally, he said, I'm not leaving without my brother. He said, and it was just what a sweet story. So they ended up adopting both kids. This couple, they adopted these two boys. Wonderful story. But this pastor then, he, he pressed it down. He said, you know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, that Jesus is not ashamed. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. And he said, Jesus is not ashamed. That Jesus too, when faced with leaving, he wrapped, as it were, himself around you and said, I'm not leaving without my brother. I'm not leaving without my sister. Now, it's not a perfect illustration because obviously the father's the one. He didn't have to be persuaded. He sent the son to die for us. But there's something of the love of Christ and that it's just moving to tears. Where Jesus comes, he grabs a hold of us, his people, and said, I'm not leaving without them. I'm going to purchase them. I'm going to redeem them and ransom them. 
and he's not ashamed to call us brother. I mean, what? it's just, we shouldn't forget the, the cost, but also the love of Christ here. There's, that's why there's so many dimensions, like Grant said, we could spend weeks on this, because there's so many avenues to look at. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, Dorian, Doriani said that uh, Americans, they adopt cute babies, and the Romans, they adopted excellent young men. It sounded like that was a different sort of adoption than what we're, we're talking about here. So when Paul's giving them this, they're seeing it as a different way. But God, he adopts neither of those. We were rebels, right? We were lost. We were, like you read, Jerry, we were in, in deep, deep trouble. And, uh, and that's when God, he doesn't adopt us as cute, cuddly, little, you know, almost pretty. We were, we were kicking and screaming against the Lord when he adopted us. And that just makes it um, all the more amazing when you put it like that, the way Jesus, um, you know, as being co-heirs with Christ there. Um, Grant, any more things that you have kind of for us from 15 and sneaking into 16? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say a few more things about adoption. Just I had some quotes that I thought were really good. This was from Ligonier. Uh, one of their articles said that the English Puritans held that adoption was the central benefit of redemption inasmuch as it encompasses the totality of what it means to be brought into a saving relationship with God as our Father. And when I was thinking about that, uh, we talked about this one time at book club, and I guess when I think about justification, I wrongly squished adoption into justification. Mm -hmm. They're both single-time events in history. They're different from sanctification, but they're unique to themselves. So in justification, God forgives guilty sinners and accepts them as righteous in his sight only on account of the blood and righteousness of Christ. In adoption, he brings those who were once enemies into the family of God, giving them an eternal inheritance. We go from the law court to the living room, is what this quote says. Mm. And when I think about that, I think if, if we appeared before God in, in the throne room uh, and in judgment, and the, or in, just in front of a king in general, and the king forgives us of our crime, on the basis of his son, basically justification, then says, okay, you have been forgiven, you're now righteous, you can go without fear into the kingdom, live your life uh, without fear of punishment for these crimes, but you, you go forth out from that king and you don't have access back into the castle. You can be free of the crime, you're living your life, but you don't have access back, but with adoption, it's we're standing there, we turn to go, and he, he says stop, and his, son's come, his son comes down, pulls us up to in front of the father, the father puts a crown on us and is adopting us into the family and says come back to the living room uh, out of this courtroom, uh, recline at table, you're part of the family, you have all access that any other family member, you're a true son, you're not a lesser son because you're adopted, but you're a true son now of mine and we have access continually. If you need anything through the night, come and ask me if you have any need. We have full access that a child was having. Like what you were talking about with, with Michael, we can cry out to him. We have full access to him. Just the, the magnitude of that was hitting me this week. The access that we have is, is truly unbelievable because I think sometimes you can get a false view of, of God's holiness that we can't approach him now. You know, It's good to know that God is holy, 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 but this access that we have because of Christ is just a whole new thing. And the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit applies that to us in our heart. He uh, Murray says he emboldens the people of God to draw near as children to a father able and ready to help them. That's uh, from the Westminster Confession. The hesitation to entertain this confidence of approach to God, the father, is not a mark of true humility. 
but it's also noted that it is by or in the Holy Spirit that this approach is made. Without the filial reverence and tenderness fostered by the Holy Spirit, the address or approach is presumption and arrogance. So it's not true humility to say I can't approach God because he's too holy, but the Holy Spirit says that we can because of Christ's blood. I think that's, that's truly amazing. Oh, thanks. That's great. Josh, I want to hear more as you're going from 15 to 16, but let me read that Westminster Catechism. Uh, they're always wordy when you're looking at these, but sometimes they're very helpful. Adoption is the act of a free grace of God in and for his only son, Jesus Christ, whereby all those that are justified are received into that number of his children, having his name put upon them, the spirit of his son given to them, are under his fatherly care and dispensations, uh, admitted to all the liberties and privileges of the sons of God, uh, made um, heirs of all the promises and fellow heirs with Christ and glory. Josh, that I, when you're starting to make 16 part of this too, I want to hear your thoughts here. Or go ahead and do say what you're going to say. Yeah, um, I, I was just thinking about adoption this week. And you think about, one pastor pointed this out, every person probably on some level or another has wrestled or struggled or been in a situation where they wrestled with rejection. Maybe by a spouse or maybe by a friend group or maybe family. Um, and few things can penetrate, I think, deeper into the human soul when, when you experience that sense of rejection from somebody. And um, even just working with high school students as a teacher over the last two weeks, I see it just watching them. They're constantly on the alert and, and fearful of being rejected by their peers and not wanting to do anything that would cause rejection. But um, I think you think about what adoption is, the most secure relationship imaginable, that we are adopted into God's own family that will be for all of eternity. And we will never experience that sense of rejection ever again uh, when we're adopted into God's family in our glorified state for sure. But I think even now in the, in the sinful fallen world that we live in, it's a precious truth that we can hold on to that um, God will never leave or forsake us. He will never count us out or cast us out if we are his children. And we become part of a permanent spiritual family. And there's nothing that can... Uh, break that or destroy that and it, it just thinking about this that this week was very comforting and uh, knowing that we belong to a family now we belong in God's family uh, permanently securely and and forever yeah thanks well it's good and the spirit wants us to know that doesn't he look at 16 the spirit himself someone mentioned himself right God gave us himself his very self, he's the one that's convincing you of who you really are. And he was the one, If once you, when you weren't a believer, he was the one that convinced you that you needed a Savior. Now, all day long, the Spirit is interceding. And uh, we're going to come to that in a couple weeks. But the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He's convincing us that we're God's children. And so... Um, when Satan comes with condemnation, maybe our own hearts lying to us about um, our assurance, the Spirit himself bears witness. What do you think that's like, Scott? Why, in what ways 
maybe does he convince the believer? Yeah, I mean, I think he is talking about the emotional dimensions of Christian experience. I think Schreiner said that, and I think Doug Moo talked about that, some of the quote you said. I mean, it's sort of like this inner witness in the heart, a sense that, yes, he really loves me. That, that's certainly, that's got to be a big part of what he's talking about here. Uh, and I think you can go to this passage, too, though, like the, the Spirit is leading you to, to, to fight sin, and there, there's evidence in, in this passage direct that you could kind of line up with. But I do think it's that emotional experience that, like, he does, like, he loves me. This is all true. He has forgiven me. And there's, a, I know we're running out of time, but there's this, I've been listening to these retired pastors this uh, last couple of weeks, and I keep telling Liliana, I think she's getting tired of me telling about all these different guys I've been listening to. But this one guy had this incredible testimony. He did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, and he, uh, but he said his, his parents were like loving, but not, not Christians by any means, didn't know the gospel. He gets married. He has three daughters. He was working at a newspaper and kind of worked his way up. He was also a trombone player. He was working in this band, but then he started, he was around alcohol. So he was getting drunk all the time because the, the, he was around the bar where he was playing. So he's, he, his life was just falling apart. He's just getting drunk all the time. He said his marriage was hanging by a thread, but he said uh, God brought in a guy to, to work next to him at, at the newspaper place. He was a Christian man. And he said the guy had a Bible on, a, on, on his desk, and he was joyful and just so different. He's like, what, what is this guy? And he had a commonality of soccer, and they be, began to build this friendship. And this guy who was a Christian had him edit like his magazine, this Christian magazine for his, his, uh, his church. So he's sneaking in the gospel like that way. And he said slowly over time as he's editing this thing, he said these truths were sinking into him even though he didn't realize it. And then he had this really bad weekend. He got drunk. He drove home and like crashed into all these cars. They're going to take his license away again. He's got this court date coming up and he was talking to this guy and, just, and he asked the guy, started t- asking about his faith and the guy just turned to him and said, like, do you believe in God? And he said he wasn't sure. He said, do you believe in Jesus? And then he said, basically just urged him to repent and believe and trust. He said he never heard anybody say that before. He said he got up, he went to this little bathroom and he knelt down he said he prayed the worst prayer ever. But he just prayed like, Lord, like, help me, save me. Like that basic prayer. He said he was too proud to say anything to, to his friend. He said he got in his car and he said he wept. He just said, he said he wept going home. He said, but he said this, he said, he said I knew he said, I knew it was all true. I knew my sins were forgiven. He said, I knew if I died that night driving home, he said, I would go to heaven. It's like the Spirit was immediately interceding with his Spirit that he was a child of God. No, that's not the case with everybody. I just thought, it's the, what a picture of the gospel. Here's this guy who's a horrible sinner. God saves him, and that night he knows he's going to heaven. But I think that that's at least describing somewhat of what Paul's getting at there. Yeah. Any thoughts on more on 16 there, Josh? I don't have anything. Yeah. Crazy. Um, Spirit bears witness without spirit, like through the word, because when you become a believer and you start like loving the Bible, but then you read portions of the Bible that say his word becomes like honey. And so the word bears witness of the work that the spirit is doing in you. Um, or if you're suffering like tribulation for like sharing the gospel, and then you read all who seek to live God in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And then the spirit is bearing witness through the word of things even as you're not doing them like because you read them but you're doing them and then when you read it it bears witness of that yes no i love that that's good your thought from moo josh i thought was was helpful there's there's kind of two there is something there where it's he does it uh in a way that's a little bit mysterious if you will but there's also something pretty objective about it both right yeah, and I'm almost hesitant to try and elaborate on it, but maybe I can put the quote in the group me. But yeah. he seemed to be helpful in, um, you know, guarding against two ditches in terms of our the experience side of it, and then the rational knowing side of things. So, but yeah, and sometimes, and we do not want to just be experiential, right? That would be there is we want to camp on the truth 
hear, you know, the spirit and truth. But there is something that is experiential uh, about this. And if we didn't have any affections, we would somehow be missing, be missing it. It does, the Holy Spirit, he does stir us um, in a way to where we say, hey, wait a second here. I know I'm changed. I know I'm changed by what I read in scripture, but I know I'm changed because I have a whole different way I feel about this. This verse has become really instrumental just in how I teach the Bible at school because there is a fear of giving um, doubt to true believers to where they continue to go back and, and they're just, you know, they, they wrestle. It's like, oh no, maybe I'm not a believer after all. But I think to me there's a bigger fear now than ever of giving false assurance to those who aren't believers. And this verse has been really big to convince me to say the Holy Spirit will testify with the believer, with the true believer, that they're God's child. And, and it's the God's Spirit who will convince them. And, uh, and I just think you can take great um, assurance in that, great hope in that, that um, we can continue to question whether we're really believers and the Spirit will convince us of that. And like the Second Corinthians 13, 5, you know, to, to continually ask, hey, am I a child of God? And if I am, the Holy Spirit guarantees, he guarantees that he will convince us um, of that. Final thoughts, and we'll save 17 for next week. I would say what you have, Mark has asked you, like if you were to die tomorrow morning, like you know, like you know, you're like what you've said is more than, you're certain that the sun will rise tomorrow, but more, even more certain than the sun will rise tomorrow, you know you would be in heaven. Like you're certain, absolutely a thousand percent. Which Yeah. Actually, yeah. And I don't think I ever remember not feeling certain. And, and if there's ever a thought that, that, that there is that, hey, wait a second, could it be? Like, Scripture is so convincing. Scripture is so convincing. And so, I, yeah, I don't, there doesn't need to be any doubts about that. I mean, can't wait. Can't wait for tomorrow. The sun probably will come up tomorrow, but I'm way more sure. That uh, that you know of the inheritance that's coming that we get to talk about next week, mm. for sure. So, Scott, would you pray for sure. us? Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege to look at this incredible chapter in the Bible. Uh, Derek Thomas has called it the greatest chapter in the Bible, and, and the more we study it, I think the more we probably all will agree with him. Uh, what an incredible passage of Scripture! Uh, what an amazing truth to to soak on today. Our adoption that you have adopted us uh, as jerry said we weren't like the cute babies no we were we were rebels we were in great need we were without hope without you in the world uh, we were running a hellbound race and yet you 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 came after us and you snatched us up you, you gave us new life you adopted us into your family we have this incredible intimacy we can cry abba father this this word used by a child that we can approach you our sovereign uh, lord of the universe and yet we can come to you with any need and say heavenly father Help us. So, Father, I pray that we would be quick to turn to you in times of need, but we'd also be quick to turn with joys, with praises, just spontaneity we would have, just coming to your presence all the time uh, with joy. And uh, help us to ponder more and more our adoption. I think the more we ponder it, the more amazed 
we will be. And Father, I pray you'd be at work uh, through the service, through the singing, as the Vandones lead us today, and uh, Mark as he teaches, and Jerry as he leads in the prayer, and I uh, pray for the community groups as well. Uh, first time these groups are meeting, I pray those would be edifying and fruitful times together, and uh, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, and I hope that today that we're not just hearers of the word, but we are, we really um, will take this to heart, enjoy the uh, being an adopted child of God through the Spirit.